From Schwartz Media, I'm Elizabeth Kulas. This is 7am. A strict legal framework means there is a shortage of sperm donors across Australia. But online, there is a huge and unregulated market of people willing to donate. Marina Kemenev on sperm donation in the time of Facebook. Very healthy heartbeat. Your dates told me that you're supposed to be 20 weeks, four days. Today our donor arrives to meet Florence for the first time. More than ever I feel like, wow, what an incredible gift this complete stranger has given us. Um, I feel incredibly blessed that our lives um, collided in the way that they did. So Marina, let's start with a number. Um, How many registered sperm donors are there, for example, in New South Wales? So we don't really know because there's no central sperm bank in the state uh, or in the country. City Fertility in their database, there are 16 donors in New South Wales. Marina Kamenev is a journalist. She also writes for The Monthly. And when I spoke to IVF Australia, the waiting list for Australian sperm donors was a few months. But when you say 16, it's, I mean, that's not even really the size of a cricket team. So there's a shortage of donors. It's across the country. There's a shortage of sperm donors. And why do we think the numbers are so low? I guess in Australia, there's not all that many incentives to donate. So you can't be paid, although you can be reimbursed. And Australia asks a lot from its donors. So a donor cannot be anonymous. If a donor-conceived child wishes to know who their donor is, they'll be able to find out. And also they have to go through counselling, they have to have health checks, they have to have genetic checks. And there are 20 clinical points that a donor has to go through before his sperm is actually ready for use. So there's quite a bit they have to do before they can actually make a donation. That's right. And once they do make the donation, there's a limit to how much they can donate, which varies from state to state. So in New South Wales, a donor can donate to five women. And once five women have used the sperm, he can't donate to anyone else. Okay, so it's quite a lot of like rigmarole and then potentially you might only be able to help five individual women. That's right. There are many women who want to conceive children and they want to have a donor with an Australian parent perhaps so that the child can contact them in the future or can at least identify them in the future. And so if we go into the history of how donor-conceived individuals can actually track who their biological parents are, how has that changed over the last few decades? Well, it's changed dramatically and especially in Victoria. So in 1988, a law passed which meant the donor-conceived children born after that year were granted access to the identity of their donor if the donor consented. And then 10 years later in 1998, uh, there was no anonymous donation at all. So people that donated sperm, they donated on the basis that their identity would be revealed. In 2005, the same rights were granted nationally. So there are caveats to access there based on when a child was conceived. Have there been any changes to those laws since? A lot of donors were upset because they had different rights depending on the year they were born. And through an inquiry in 2012, Victoria reviewed these laws again. 
There was one particular case made by Narelle Gretsch, who was donor-conceived, and she was terminally ill at the time. She was diagnosed with stage 4 bowel cancer. Her disease was hereditary. She, she got it quite early in her 20s, and it didn't exist on her mother's side. While she didn't have the identity of her father, she knew there were eight half-siblings, and she wanted to direct them towards early screening programs if she could. And I think it was in 2013, the Premier ended up intervening on her behalf and she met her biological father six weeks before her death. So Victoria ended up changing their laws retroactively so any donor-conceived child in the state could identify their donor regardless of what the donor had consented to at the time. And so do you think this regulatory uncertainty has an impact on people's willingness to donate? Yeah, to some extent it does. This kind of shifting legislation, you can see how concerning it would be for someone that does wish to donate their sperm. And Marina, in your reporting, you met a number of couples that are trying to conceive through the clinics that exist. Let's talk about one of the couples that you call Julia and Maria. So Julia and Maria, they got married a year ago. Julia was from Germany and Maria was from Brazil. And they had no idea how they would start a family. They only had sort of vague notions that it would happen somehow through a sperm donor. They had to go through two sessions of counselling before they could access the clinic sperm donor bank. And the first session was quite informative about their rights. But the second session, they sort of found that it was a bit of a waste of time. And then Maria she was found to have no issues with her fertility, but the clinic still suggested a drug that would stimulate her ovaries to increase her chances of getting pregnant. So she was already a little bit uncomfortable with the clinic process. And by the time they went through to choosing their donor, they just found that there were three options there. And by three options, you mean they were given the choice between sperm from just three men and they felt that that was too limited? It was too limited, that's right. So I guess when you, when you imagine the process of picking a sperm donor, you imagine that you're, you're able to pick what someone looks like, what music they like, what food they like. You imagine you get quite a selection of people and it's important to have the selection because I guess that's something you look for in a partner when you have children. But it's just, it's not like that at all. You have a very, very limited selection if you go to a clinic and you're looking for Australian sperm. So with all these factors in mind, they decided that the clinic option wasn't right for them and they just decided to look elsewhere. Eventually they decided to look online and they started looking at some of the websites available and they honed down on a website called CoParents. And so is that kind of a black market, an online black market, or what does that look like? I wouldn't call it a black market because nothing illegal is essentially taking place. Um, it's just, it, it is like the dating websites before Tinder. So there's way more variety available through that online method they find very quickly. That's right. And there, there, were, there, were, there were thousands of options in Australia. We'll be right back. As a 7am listener, you're already familiar with many of the journalists who work for The Saturday Paper. For a limited time, subscribe to Australia's leading independent news source, The Saturday Paper, and you'll receive The Saturday Paper's stainless steel coffee cup, made in collaboration with Fresco, for free. Subscribe from just $2.10 a week. Simply visit thesaturdaypaper.com.au forward slash offer. 
For Sloane Crosley, writing about the loss of a friend may not have provided catharsis, but it did allow for the possibility of a better ending. Like you have this amazing meal that's this friendship and then you have a really, 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 really bad dessert with shards of glass in it. And then like the book is like, you know, those little chunks of chocolate that come with the bill. I'm Michael Williams. Join me for this week's episode of Read This as I talk to Sloane Crosley about her latest Grief is for People. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Marina, you've spoken to couples who have struggled with a shortage of of donor sperm that is available through clinics in Australia. But there is this kind of, as you say, it's not a black market, but there is a kind of alternative available online in terms of where one can source donor sperm. Tell me about what that looks like. So online there's a real kind of abundance of sperm, if you like. There are websites like CoParents and CoParentMatch. My partner and I used CoParentMatch.com to find our sperm donor last spring. They advertise on Craigslist and I heard in Australia that even on Gumtreat some of these donors would advertise sperm. And there are also apps. One in particular is a bit like Tinder and you can match up couples you know, or single women with potential donors. Just a Baby is a world-first app connecting people who want to have or help others have a baby. There are Facebook groups where donors and couples can be matched up. They look exactly like your average Facebook group. I looked closely at Sperm Donation Australia and it wasn't really what I expected. I started this journey myself late in 2014 with the idea of helping create a couple of babies for a couple of worthy parents and somehow found myself running Australia's largest online community, Sperm Donation Australia. I sort of expected people to be selling vials of sperm online and shipping them off in the post and it wasn't anything like that at all. It was a really sort of supportive community, a lot of women asking, you know, when is the best time to use a donor, people are posting their pregnancy tests and and there are women who are looking to donate and they ask for what characteristics they're looking for, so if they're looking for someone with blue eyes, they can post all that online and someone replies and can answer their call and hopefully they can meet up and then, yeah, the options come up and there's pictures of thousands of men if, if you just look in Australia. So, yeah, it's a stark contrast to, to what they have at clinics. So is this where Julia and Maria go next after they find that the clinic's offering was, in their mind, too limited? Well, Julia and Maria actually went um, on, on Facebook first. They found someone... He was a doctor and he worked at a university and it did check out, according to them. Okay. They met up with him and he was an experienced donor. He had already had produced at least 50 children. Wow. So, yes. (laughs) So he he was an experienced donor. I mean, that's what he said. They, They checked his health records, his STD tests and, yeah, they booked a stay in a motel to coincide with Maria's fertility window. But when he showed up, he complained that the menstrual cup that they were going to use to inseminate themselves was too small. And so as a solution, he, he said that he would bring himself close to ejaculating and then have intercourse with Maria. And, of course, that's not something that they had signed up for and they immediately rejected it. And, yeah, I mean, they, they ended up going to a chemist and to find a sort of a urine sample jar, which which was the right size. 
he ejaculated in the jar and Maria inseminated herself with it. But they did this process for two nights. So on the second night, he arrived at the hotel. When he arrived, they could just sense something was off. The top two buttons of his shirt were undone and he started to remove his shorts. And they asked him to leave, which which he did, and Maria didn't fall pregnant from the attempt from the night before. I see. So, I mean, it's obviously, it's a horrible story. It's a story where one can see that through these unregulated channels, there's the potential for vulnerability and feeling unsafe. You're meeting up with someone that essentially they're a stranger. That's right. And, I mean... They do advise to kind of do your due diligence beforehand, to meet up a few times, to really discuss what happens, to sign um, a donor agreement if possible. But, you know, it, it doesn't always happen in that way and it doesn't always unfold that way. In the end, they said that they didn't report him because Julia said maybe maybe some women would want to go down that route with him. They might consider him attractive and it wasn't for her to kind of decide what other women may or may not want. And is there concern about these online spaces being highly unregulated? Yes, there's a a huge amount of concern, especially from clinics. And, I mean, the other issue that's happening on these Facebook groups is they'll state the method of conception. So a lot of women will say AI, which is artificial insemination, but some will say natural insemination, and natural insemination is sex, and that places the couple and the donor into a different legal category because if they do have sex, the donor becomes the father. In some ways it is a risk, but I guess, you know, so is so is reproducing in, um, in real life. And what about donor agreements? Can they be used to legally clarify the role of a donor? They can sign a donor agreement, which kind of, it, it's a document that shows intent, you know, what role the donor will play, what the children will call the donor and all these other details. But it's not a legally binding document. So it has some weight if there is a dispute, but it doesn't mean that it will solve everything. So what, in the case of Julia and Maria, what did they do? They went to co-parents to the website and they met someone and he was quite new to donating and he was young and they had a really good feeling about him. And he ended up coming to their place and they they used his sperm and Maria ended up falling pregnant. But they didn't sign any paperwork. They didn't sign the donor agreement. And I asked Julia about this, but she just, she had a good feeling about him and she, she doesn't seem concerned about these issues so much. I mean, currently she's kind of forgotten about all this searching for a donor, she's just focusing on her wife's pregnancy and, you know, parenthood. Marina, thank you so much for speaking with us. Thank you for having me. Join Richard Tognetti and the ACO for a bold and intrepid 2022. Featuring a live national concert season, their acclaimed on-demand film series ACO Studiocasts and exciting programs from their new home in Sydney's Walsh Bay. Subscriptions now on sale at aco.com.au. With award-winning news coverage and reviews, the Saturday paper is essential reading for everybody. For a limited time, subscribe to a year of our quality, independent journalism and you'll receive the Saturday Paper's stainless steel coffee cup made in collaboration with Fresco for free.
Subscribe from just $2.10 a week. Simply visit thesaturdaypaper.com.au forward slash offer. The Saturday Paper. No hot takes. Elsewhere in the news, leaders at the Pacific Islands Forum have called on Australia to cut its emissions and not open further coal mines. The Prime Minister for Tuvalu, who is chairing the forum, said it didn't matter how much aid Australia contributed if climate change was not addressed. On Monday, the Morrison government announced $500 million over five years to help with climate adaptation in the region. And the man who allegedly killed a woman in Sydney this week and stabbed another has been identified as Mert Ney, a 20-year-old from Mariong in Sydney's west. The murdered woman has been named as 24-year-old Michaela Dunn. Her family have said they appreciate the public support they've received but have requested privacy. This is 7am. I'm Elizabeth Coolass. See you Friday.